0: Greetings, greetings, and welcome to the show. This is Wrong Place, Right Crime, and I am your host, Frank Zafiro, and this is a hybrid episode with James Swallow. So uh, normally this would be an open and shut episode, but uh, uh, when I discovered James and his uh, incredible catalog. It was impossible to keep the conversation uh, to just uh, fifteen minutes or so, and it just kept going. And everything to me was so interesting. The the things he had to say, the things he had experienced, what he had written about. Uh, I just kept the tape rolling, and decided uh, we were just gonna have some bonus content this week. If you have you know an ounce of geek in you, if you have a nanogram of nerd, uh, you will find the different intellectual properties that he's worked in very interesting uh and he has a thriller series of his own that is likewise interesting i just kept talking he kept talking and you you get the benefit of uh at least about a third of that we actually stayed on the line for another hour so uh geeking out and uh he shared some more stories and it was a great conversation really nice guy and there were quite a few of his books that i was not aware of before we talked that uh Uh, I'm going to go out and get because uh, they really piqued my interest. Uh, So we will talk to James in just a moment. Uh, But first, uh, I want to let you know that Wrong Place or Right Crime is proudly sponsored by Down and Out Books. Down and Out Books is a mid-sized publisher of crime fiction, most of it at the darker and grittier end of the spectrum. Uh, if that sounds like something you'd like, then you can find out more at their website, downandoutbooks.com. That's down and out books, all spelled out, .com, downandoutbooks. Take the journey with us. Uh, and speaking of a journey, uh, let's, uh, let's, let's hop on that train, uh, to James Swallow, uh, and, and hear about a lot of cool stuff that he has written. Well, hey James, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a great to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, so you are over in the UK, correct? That's right. Um, where uh, I suppose it's evening now. I'm I'm late morning here, so hopefully that dissonance doesn't cause us any problems.
1: <laughs> it's it's uh, it's actually been a very nice day today. It's been like, you know, kind of cool, clear skies, sun setting now. I've got a lovely view from my office window, actually, of the sun going down. So it's, uh, it's very chilled out and relaxed right now. Well, that's
0: one of those rare times where Central Oregon has worse weather than uh, than Britain, you know. <laughs> um, so I, w- I definitely want to talk about your Mark Dane series, because there's a couple of books from that series that are kind of, you know, just came out and are about to come out. Uh, but when one looks through your body of work, it's uh, it's impressive in its scope and its diversity. And if you are a lifelong geek like i am then when when i opened up your page and started looking at it, i was like what he did that what he did that i mean there there's a lot of cool stuff here and i was wondering if we could touch on it maybe get a little background from you on some of these uh, awesome projects
1: that you uh, i think i could say it this way that you were fortunate to work on Oh, absolutely, and thank you for for your your compliment there. You know, yeah, I I'm I have been very lucky with my career as I've been able to visit a lot of uh, fictional worlds as well as creating my own stories. You know, visiting uh, stories based in worlds that have given me a lot of uh, fun and excitement over the years, and it's kind of cool to be able to you know geek out a little bit and kind of give back to that. So yeah, I'm, I'm I'm very lucky.
0: Well, before I ask you about some of the specific uh, universes that you've been able to work in, um, maybe just a general question here. You know, as as a writer, I, I've collaborated with with other writers on a project we're both working on, and so I've had to you know be respectful of that creative process and the and the vision of another author. But that was a project. You know, those were projects that we were both creating, and I've often wondered: is it a different experience? Because you write like your Mark Dane uh, series, and you wrote the Sundowner series. Is there a different approach? Is it does it feel different, uh, or is it just a minor adjustment for you?
1: No, it's very different. It's very much kind of chalk and cheese. You know, when you're going into somebody else's sandbox, as you say, you know, I often equate it to like the box of toys, right? I say, you know, someone hands you this box of great toys and says, well, you know, you can play with these for a little while and you can tell a great story. But at the end of the day, you have to hand the toys back. You can't break the toys, you can't get sticky fingerprints all over them, you know, you have to return them in the, in the, in the condition in which you found them. And, and it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge because you have to find a way to expand that world and, and throw a light on those characters and those situations in a way that hasn't been done in previous iterations of whatever that intellectual property might be. But also tell an interesting and, and impactful story that people will be engaged by. And it's, uh, it's a very unique challenge. Uh, I've spoken to some people who think, like you know, writing in a, a somebody else's intellectual property. is like, sure, surely that's kind of you know a bereft of creativity, and it's you know it's it's a harbour for lazy writing. And I think the opposite, oh, no, the opposite no. is absolutely true. You know, I think it's it's difficult to 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 colour inside the lines and still mm-hmm. tell an interesting and exciting story. And I really relish that challenge.
0: That's an interesting uh, analogy, the uh, bag of toys approach, because that's really what it is. You. You have foul lines that you have to stay within. You can't kick the ball out of bounds. You have to, you know, play yeah. by the rules that you're given. You can't decide it's going to be a completely different game. But, but I suppose once you get used to those uh, guidelines, then you know it all opens up because all the characters in the, the world building that's already taken place, you get to play in that.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I often uh, kind of equate it to like if if you if you think of a long running TV show. Um, Mm -hmm. most television shows are kind of created by maybe like one or two people and they're the originators of that core idea, but throughout several seasons of a TV show, you're going to have a lot of different writers coming in and they're all going to put their different spin on how those Mm -hmm. characters and how those narratives unfold. And I think this is, this is the similar sort of thing, you know, someone else might have originated this world and these characters, but other writers can come in and bring their unique energy to it and, and their unique focus and, and show a different kind of story.
0: Uh, well, you've done it in a lot of different IPs, a lot of different universes. Um, and like I said, I, you know, grew up on science fiction and fantasy and I'm, I'm a, I wouldn't even say a closet geek. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open. I'm, I'm outed as a geek. Uh, but uh, so as I'm looking through this, it just, it, it, it got me pretty excited to talk to you. The, the biggest and first one that jumped out at me and probably would to most people is you've done a considerable amount of work. looks like like a dozen titles maybe uh, in the Star Trek universe and and not just in one iteration, but you've got original series settings, next generation Voyager. And I saw on your blog uh, coming up from the new Star Trek Picard series uh, on CBS.
1: Yes, that's just uh, just this weekend. That information has broken about that, and now I can finally talk about it. Been working on that for like about a year and a half, and I had to keep completely silent about the whole thing. So, yeah, response on that has, has been really great. Star Trek's kind of my first geek love, I guess mm-hmm. I would say. You know, that was the, the show I watched in. It used to air here in the UK in the 1980s, um, and so that was the that was the sci-fi show that I would come home from school, turn on the TV, and watch Star Trek. You know, mm-hmm. so I've always had a lot of love for it. And, um, early on in my career, when I was, I used to be an entertainment journalist before I was a writer. And some of the earliest work I did was writing about, uh, Star Trek TV shows and doing kind of behind the scenes set reports and interviewing people. And, and I got the opportunity there to meet a lot of people who were involved in the writing of Star Trek. And as somebody who was uh, interested in a career as a, as a writer as well, i got to learn a lot from them. So my two kind of loves of writing and sci-fi and thriller and action stories all kind of meshed together here uh and and kind of helped me get off the starting blocks towards what would eventually become my career as a novelist
0: and and you've taken advantage of that in in the sense that uh you know it's not a one-off i mean i'm, I'm looking right now on your website uh and and you, you've got star trek listed in, uh you know two different ways that you uh Uh, were involved in it Um, you wrote in the mirror universe and I I don't know how many people are familiar with that but it's that uh, multiverse uh, idea that there's a a, you know other mirror universes out there and it that started back in the original series in an episode called mirror mirror I believe was the Mm -hmm. title Um, and and people would probably remember it best by the one where Spock has a beard Um, (laughs) if it was a friend's episode that would have been the title um, yeah. and, but it, it, from there, it's really, uh, expanded and, and there are a, a lot of episodes throughout the, the different, uh, series, uh, that, that get into that. And there's a ton of, uh, of tie-in novels as well. Um, what was your mirror universe? Uh, what was the premise there?
1: Well, the story I worked on there, that was, um, well, it was actually, it, was a, it was a short story for, um, for a collection. Uh, of of stories that, that appeared in uh, in the Mirror Universe there was a, a particular spin-off that was created wholly by the writers who were working on the Star Trek spin-off series so if you imagine creating a TV series except it just exists in the novels and and that was called Star Trek Vanguard. It was pretty much kind of Star Trek does Deadwood would be the best way to describe it. <laughs> that sounds awesome to me. <laughs> and it, it was pretty cool, I have to say. And uh, and that was originated by a couple of other great writers: uh, David Mack, Dayton Ward, Kevin Dillmore and Michael Palmieri were the, the, the team who created that. And and I got to write a story in there. Those guys gave me the opportunity to to tell a story in that, and it was just a lot of fun because it's it's a very different flavor to what you think of as regular Star Trek. It's kind of Star Trek with the brakes off, you know. And uh, it was uh, it was exciting to, to tackle that because it's a different take on the characters while you still have the sort of familiar tropes you can see it through a different lens and do some really interesting things with it.
0: Well, this is a crime fiction, so some people are probably screaming, get to other stuff. But I can't leave Star Trek without without uh, mentioning you also wrote a a novel set in in the original series era. That's the Captain Kirk era for for you uh, non geeks out there. And it's called the Ladder Fire. And when you read the description of that, it's all Prime Directive stuff you're dealing with there, which is pretty core to the kind of the Star Trek ethos. Maybe you could talk about that book mm-hmm. for a second. What uh, what gave you the idea, and how was that? You know, these are iconic characters? I mean, even more so than the next generation characters, they're iconic to not just, uh, you know, Star Trek geeks, but I would say to the culture at large. I mean, everybody knows who Kirk and Spock are, even if they're not Trekkies. Um, Mm -hmm. so how was it working, you know, with those iconic characters?
1: Well, I'd been doing Star Trek fiction for a while before I got to do the original series thing. And that was kind of on my bucket list of, of stories I wanted to tell because that was my first Star Trek and, you know, that was the one I'm the fondest of. So, when the time came to do that, my editor said, well, we want you to do another novel or you 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 can pick whatever you like. I said, I want to do an original series novel. I want to do something that's got that kind of bold, brassy, bright kind of style. You know, when I mean the original series was as well everything was very colorful and and it was larger than life and it was kind of exciting. And and it had that sort of kind of real crackling kind of energy that came off of my favorite episodes of Trek. So I said, I want to do a story like that. I want to do something that's big and and crazy. and." and my elevator pitch for the story was i said it's basically the starship enterprise versus space godzilla that's the that's the story i'm going to do and and it has a whole bunch of stuff in there about the you know the prime directive about uh, you know whether you can interfere with the normal development of cultures and but it also has crazy stuff in there uh, you know a, a giant planet eating planet and space battles so i got to do all the different things about star trek that i love and just kind of condense that all into one novel it is essentially it's my love letter to star trek
0: well i didn't know it existed and uh before i started doing a little bit of uh, research on you and 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 that's kind of surprises me because it did really well it was the number one it was number one on amazon in 2016 to me so i'm going to check that out for sure a love letter to star trek is something i would like to read for certain yeah it was,
1: it's one of those projects you know you work on something and you have you have so much fun doing it um it was it was just it's it's, it's a career highlight for me definitely
0: you also wrote a couple of uh, of original episodes on Voyager. Is that do I am I reading that right?
1: Well it's a, I what I did was I originally wrote the the what we call the story premise. Is so it's this is right at the very beginning of my writing career when I came in and they, they would have writers come in and pitch story ideas. Uh, which the the staff writers would then take and kind of flesh out into fully formed episodes. And uh, and I wrote two of those ideas, which then got sold onto the show and, and got made into to screened episodes of the show.
0: That's got to be pretty cool to be, you know, turning on the TV set and uh, watching an episode. And you're like, hey, yeah, that was my idea.
1: Yeah, that's pretty good. It's it, I, I say to a lot of my friends, it's the kind of the... That I'm never going to win a lottery because that was me winning the lottery. You know, that was that was that because, a, you know, hundreds of people were coming in and pitching their ideas. And the, it was a very steep mountain to climb. And I was very lucky to kind of get in there and um, and, and sell to those story ideas. So that's that's kind of my my nerd lottery ticket was was getting that getting those shows made.
0: Yeah, that got punched big time there. <laughs> yeah. For all the other nerds out there, quick overview, just going to tell you, James has worked on Warhammer 40,000, Doctor Who, for those of you that are into that, Stargate, uh, Battlestar Galactica, uh, getting into uh, some video games. You know, I'm 52 years old, so someone might think it's weird that I actually play and enjoy video games, but it is Uh, along with reading uh, television shows and movies, you know, a big part of my recreation. And so when I see your list of video games that you've worked on, I'm like, wow, I played a bunch of these and they were like the good ones that I played here. (laughs) You know, you you worked on Deus Ex, which um, a couple of them. And that if for people who aren't aware of that, that is, you know, that's cyberpunk. Uh, But it is really like uh, in the video gaming world, it is at the pinnacle of cyberpunk
1: uh, video games. Yeah, that was, I talked about a career highlight earlier. That definitely, in my my games work, that is definitely a career highlight as well. That was one of the, hands down, one of the best projects I've ever worked on with a team of incredibly talented people up in Montreal, in this studio, just great artists, writers, designers, producers. I think we all kind of, we caught lightning in a bottle with that game and we just, produce something that i think even now several years later still still holds up very well i still get people contacting me on twitter and saying to me oh we love that game is there ever going to be a sequel you know we're going to tell more stories in that world and i say i would love to come back uh, and revisit that and and i love working in video games as well because it's a very different style of writing to to doing anything else it's a little bit like writing for tv it's a little bit like writing for radio it's a little bit like like writing for books but it's it's all those things and it's none of those things and again it's a it's a really interesting and unique challenge
0: yeah you're you're it's almost in a way you have to consider it like closer to writing a choose your own adventure novel uh i would think because uh you know player license is a big deal in video games and and there's often talk about well you know this game was fun but it was totally on rails so it was Somebody told a story from point A to point Z and you just went, you know, letter by letter through it, Uh, as opposed to other titles in Deus Ex, I think definitely falls into this category where, you know, there's a smorgasbord of choices for you. Yeah, there's a main storyline that you're probably going to, you know, you're going to stick to to a degree, but how you get there is really Totally and completely up to you. And, uh, you know, you want to sneak around, you want to go in guns blazing, you want to be a diplomat. I mean, player has these choices. There's license there. And that requires a lot more writing than a, a something that's on rails.
1: Oh, you are not wrong. I mean, believe me, we the, the work we did on that game, I think we had over the entire scale of of the production process over three or four years we had something like eight different writers working on that project working on different elements of it you know some on the main storyline some on the side quests, some on the uh, you know the uh, additional elements that kind of would appear in the game world all of these people working together uh, in a writer's room to kind of create this sense of a real contiguous world so that when you the player visit you know it feels real and it feels like you're steeped in it and it's it's happening all around you you know even if you If you stop playing and you just kind of stand on the street corner and you watch the world go by, you still get a sense that this feels like a realistic world.
0: And that's what a good book or film or TV show does too, right? That immersion. And so I think there's some similarities across platforms there in terms of what good writing can do. Um, Before we get out of video games, I did want to touch on uh, something else, a couple others here. Uh, Ghost Recon Wildlands, Uh, you worked on that. I just wanted to mention it because, you know, that is one of those like Tom Clancy games, you know, where it's big on tactics, big on shooting things and so forth. I don't generally play those games, but I played this one. And what struck me at the time was the writing. The writing was very good. Um, and I felt like I was playing a story. So, uh, you know, hats off. That's great
1: work on that
0: one. Oh, thank you. you know, I mean,
1: well, those Clancy games always kind of try to – Lean on the the pill, The core pillar is like authenticity. So you feel mm-hmm. like, you know, if you are Ghost Recon and you you're playing a kind of Delta Force, special forces badass, right? And the mm-hmm. and the game gives you all the tools to feel like you are an action hero in your story. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, like, you know, playing it with friends, co oping with someone else, I think it's like being in your own personal action movie, mm-hmm. and it's 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 a uh, it's a lot of fun. And so yeah, thank you for for your comments there on that. I think uh, uh, again, I'm not the, I wasn't the only writer on that. There was a whole team mm-hmm. of people. Um, involved in working on Ghost Recon and I think everybody did their absolute best to try and make it an engaging, immersive and authentic experience.
0: Uh, You know, the other game I wanted to ask you about because it's kind of an interesting, within the industry had kind of an interesting rollout was No Man's Sky. This was pretty pumped up when it was coming out and when it initially came out um, I didn't get it when it first came out, but uh, everything I read was that people were initially pretty underwhelmed by it, and it was one of those titles that that happens with sometimes where people have huge expectations and then it doesn't seem to meet those expectations. But then the developers like stuck with it, and they, they kept at it, and they kept releasing free updates and free updates and free updates. And I don't know exactly at what point it happened, but at some point, whenever I read anything about it... it the, the reviewers were saying, hey, this is what the game was supposed to be. It's great now. You should buy it. And and I did. And I, I played a little bit of it, and I've enjoyed what i played so far.
1: I think No Man's Sky kind of was a little bit of a victim of its own hype because, you know, people were so excited about it when the first game, when the first sort of iteration of it was presented that everybody wanted to play it right now. And I think the game could have maybe, you know, could have done with maybe another year to bake before it went out to the world. But but you're absolutely right what you say now, is now if you go and play No Man's Sky a couple of years in, and it is absolutely the game that it was promised to be, and it's got so much scope. And uh, and the thing about it is, I always say, it's, it's a game you can unplay. You don't have to go in it and play and, and, and meet any goals or anything, you can just kind of get in your spaceship, you can tool around that cool universe, and you can kind of just relax in there. And I think it's, I have friends who do that, who just, you know, at the end of the day, they'll put that game on and they'll go in there just to unwind, like as if they're going, they're taking a trip to the beach, except to them, they're (laughs) taking taking a trip to some alien planet, you know, and it's, uh, and it's such a beautiful looking game. And my kind of involvement on it was, was, was weird because they were releasing the collector's edition of the game and they wanted to do a little kind of comic book booklet with it. And one of the audio producers came to me and he said, you know, he knew my work and he said, would you write a short story for this? And can you do it in the style of like one of those classic 1950s kind of pulp uh-huh. sci-fi stories? Yeah. And I said, yeah, that would be a great fun. Uh, and they said, Oh, and the, we want to have it illustrated by uh, none other than Dave Gibbons, who is this hugely famous comics artist. He's the guy who created, if you're familiar with Watchmen, uh-huh. he created the artwork for Watchmen. Oh, wow. And he, and he's like one of my comic book heroes. So, the opportunity to work with him, I just absolutely could not turn down. So I wrote this short story, and and Dave illustrated, and, and that was a fantastic experience. And off the back of that, the the producer, um, Sean Murray on the game came back to me and said, "Well, can you do a little like, can you add some stuff into the game for us as well?" So they gave me the opportunity to kind of create a little quest line that exists. I, I'm I'm not even sure if it's still there now. There's been so many iterations and changes. Maybe that stuff's been edited out or kind of written over. But in the early iterations of the game, there was a a whole quest line that I wrote. And it was, it was nice to be able to just contribute a little bit to that kind of big tapestry of, of story.
0: Yeah, it is a, a neat game in that regard. It's, uh, it, I talked about player license before and, and definitely you have that. All right. One last uh, thing before we leave geekdom and move into thriller geekdom. Um, <laughs> one of my favorite movies growing up, uh, I was a senior in high school when it came out, uh, was Highlander kind of a cult mm-hmm. classic uh some of the spin-offs uh, particularly the second movie have been you know a little bit trash but the television show was actually pretty good and looks like you had something to do with uh, uh kind of in that portion of the universe how did that come about
1: oh that was some um, that was a fun little gig um I worked as a story editor on a on a audio drama box set featuring some of the bad guy characters. These guys called the Four Horsemen, and I, I worked with um, a, a couple of really really talented writers on that. And uh, it was it was just fun. It was, I, I really liked the show. I mean, like you, you know, I'm kind of a fan of the original movie. I always say oh, there, there aren't any other Highlander movies. There's only one, right? There's just <laughs> the one. Right? That's the tagline, right? There can be, yeah, another, absolutely. Right? There can be anyone, right? Yeah, and. I had, I remember seeing that movie and being completely blown away by the, the look of it and that amazing queen soundtrack and mm-hmm. the cool sword fighting and everything, you know, and, and the TV show I think is, is a, is an, is an honorable kind of, you know, continuation of that and just, being able to write with these characters they these interesting villains i mean how you know people often say that the kind of villains are the characters who get the juice right you know they're the ones who can do the interesting things so being involved in writing we was a f- four horsemen of the apocalypse so we had a four cd set each cd is about one of these characters telling you their origin story and how these guys came together to be these like terrifying group of immortal supervillains riding around the world creating havoc and we had an absolute ball just just doing those and it was uh, and, and i like doing radio drama as well because it's a it's a really interesting way to tell story it's a very pure kind of form of narrative and i think it's really it's really intimate you know because you you sit there listening to an audio drama story more than a talking book where it's just someone reading a story to you you know when it's actually you're listening to actors performing and you've got music and sound effects it can kind of get right there inside your brain and you become kind of almost like complicit in the narrative because your brain is helping to fill in all those gaps. You know, you are the special effects budget. You are the, you're, you're generating the scenery and the characters and everything in your mind as you're, you're sort of participating in the story. And I think that makes it much more, you connect much more to it when you listen to radio drama. So, being involved in all those sort of elements, it's uh, it's fun to write that. And uh, I, I I love to do an audio story every now and then just to kind of refresh myself because it's it's such a different set of tools you have to bring to it as a writer. I think it keeps you engaged and, and kind of keeps you keeps you sharp.
0: Well, I, I love audiobooks, uh, but audio productions like, like you're talking about are a lot of fun too. I think the first one I ever heard was a BBC production of The Lord of the Rings about oh, like yeah. a dozen cassettes or something like that in a in a box set and it does it, it is much more uh, engaging uh in some ways than than just the audiobook which i th- i find audiobooks pretty engaging as well uh, you know we spent uh, quite a while here talking about other people's uh, uh intellectual property that you got to play in and and explore um but you have some uh of your own ip um specifically i'm talking about the mark dane thrillers And, um, I guess I'd I'd like to hear who, who is Mark Dane? How would you describe Mark Dane
1: for people who aren't familiar with him? I'm a big fan of thriller books and and action thriller movies. And, you know, we often have characters in, in these stories who are exciting, dynamic characters, but I always felt like these guys are a bit bulletproof. They're a bit kind of Teflon, you know, and and as exciting Mm -hmm. as they are, a lot of these guys kind of get into a situation and you think, well, you know, I know he's going to get out of that. I would often use the example of what I call my three JB theory, James Bond, Jack Bauer, Jason Bourne. Most, <laughs> most action heroes kind of fall into one of those categories. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the Bauer character is the guy who kicks down a door and smashes a guy's head against the table until he gets what he wants. Right. Mm-hmm. the, born character is the cool clinical analytical guy who you know who kind of knows every angle and can solve every problem and the bond guy is the is the cool suave sophisticated guy who you know charm the pants off the bad guy and and you know and then get into a fist fight and drive away in a sports car right? but with a all of these uh, with the guys you know with all all of these characters and these tropes we're, we're familiar with all of those and as much fun as it is to see those guys do their thing i always look at them and think well i, I never worry about them Getting out of the situation. I know oh, he's going to get through that, you know, because he's got that skill set. And I like, as much as I like them, I like more characters who have to kind of run to keep up a little bit. The guys who maybe are in a little bit over their head and they have to work a little harder at it, you know, and I think they earn their victories a little more. So when I wanted to write an action thriller, I thought, I want to write about that kind of character. Who's the guy I'm going to tell the story about? And I went back to all my favorite movies, and I was looking at them and analyzing what is it I like about them. And every story I looked at, there was always what I can consider the, the guy in the van. And you know the kind of guy I'm talking about, right? There's, there's the door kicker and the trigger puller, right? Who's out there doing the dangerous stuff. But there's always a guy in the van tapping away on a keyboard, it's the Chloe, guy. The Chloe
0: well, in 24.
1: Yeah, like Chloe in 24. It's a perfect example right there. And it just occurred to me, I thought, well, what if I told a story about the guy in the van has to do the other guy's job? What oh. if the guy in the van gets pushed into a situation mm-hmm. out of his comfort zone? You have to be the door kicker and the trigger puller. What happens then if you're not ready for that, but you don't have any choice but to do that sort of thing? And that was the mm-hmm. genesis of the character of Mark Dane. And once I had that idea, I thought, here's a story about this guy in the very first novel I wrote, Mo- Nomads, the first book in the series. You know, his team is killed and he's the only one who survives. And all suspicion falls on him because, you know, how come you're the only guy who got out alive? So the story is him trying to figure out, well, what what happened to my team? You know, am I being framed for something? Is there a larger conspiracy at work? And in the course of this story, as this guy's on the run trying to piece together this narrative, he crosses paths with a, a private military contractor kind of slash intelligence security organization called Rubicon, who are also investigating the other end of this conspiracy, And what we have is these two groups of characters come together and Mark ends up working with this team. And that's the kind of initial inciting idea for the Mark Dane series is him teaming up with this sort of extra national organization that doesn't have any loyalty to any one nation or any one government, just to kind of, you know, a moral code to do the right thing. And it's these guys going out into the world trying to basically push back against all the bad stuff that's happening out there.
0: Does he fall back into his guy in the van role when he hooks up with Rubicon, or does he still kind of have that hybrid approach where now he's kind of got to kick some doors and pull some triggers?
1: Well, I'm 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 coming up. i I've just finished writing the sixth book in the series right now. I've like like a week ago finished my kind of first draft of it. And it's funny, looking back at the earlier novels, I've been trying really hard to make him evolve as the series goes on. So, you know, he starts off in the first book, he, he's not that great at throwing punches, and he gets through a lot of his stuff more by luck than judgment. But as the series goes on, I'll try to show him kind of gradually growing into the role of being a bit more of an action hero, of being somebody who can, okay, well, maybe he can hold his own a little better now, and now he's a bit smarter than he was, but but he's also somebody who's, who's flawed, you know, he's kind of, he gets in his own way a little bit too much. You know, he's a bit reckless and he's, uh, he's way too impulsive for his own good. And he's always kind of riding on his luck a little bit too far because I, like I said earlier, I like the idea of somebody who's just a bit out of his depth. He doesn't know when to shut up, you know, he doesn't know when to, maybe you shouldn't roll that dice one more time. No, no, no. I'm going to go and do it anyway. Right. And he gets himself into more trouble. Uh, and I enjoy writing that because I like the guy who's, he's just hanging it out a little bit too far. And, and that to me is a great spur for sort of action and excitement.
0: So on the JB meter with those three JBs being a 10, where would you say uh, Mark Dane starts at, at the beginning of the series?
1: Yeah, I'd say maybe like, he's a kind of a four or five, you know, okay. he's a, he's a guy who, you know, he, he took, he's the guy who took the test to become a secret agent. And uh-huh. he could have done it if he'd have applied himself, but he was like, no, I'll take, I'm going to take the safer, you know, I'm going to take the safe job. He was 71 so it, and again. Yeah. You know, he's the, he's the guy who I think at the beginning of his, his storylines, he's picked the safe option. He's not test, He's mm-hmm. not been tested mm-hmm. and you know, and in a way he's a little lazy, you know, he's, he's like, oh, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to put myself in harm's way. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the easy route, but then that gets pulled away from it. It's like, well, you know, you don't have a choice. Now you have to step up, or or else. And he's pushed into that situation, and it's about somebody kind of growing into the uh, the potential that he's always had.
0: Well, the uh, most recent one to have come out uh, was Rogue. Came out earlier this year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, That's right. Yeah. What uh, what what's the what's going on in, in Rogue?
1: So the the big bad throughout my novels is an organization called the Combine which is essentially a bunch of rich guys who are benefiting off of the war on terror and these guys are kind of like the quartermasters to the the desperate and the and the angry you know they're the guys who sell grenades to one side and rifles to the other they're the people who are you know, stirring up conflict all around the world so they can make money off of it.
0: Not very far-fetched at all. Well, you
1: know, yeah, strangely enough, it's like the the more of these books I've written, the the truer they've got. But the idea is is that these are people who are are making money off of the kind of the misery of the world. And as the story evolves, these guys go from being the people who supply weapons to wars to the people who start creating wars because it's more opportunity for them to make money. And... Throughout the previous novels, what I've had is my heroes can constantly kind of getting in their way, thwarting their plans. And so by the time Rogue rolls around, uh, we get to the point where they basically say, you know, we've had enough of them." And, and Rogue is the novel where the bad guys kind of turn all of their force onto our heroes and decide that, you know, we're going to get rid of you once and for all. So it's the story where I, I take away all of the toys I've given my heroes throughout the previous books. They all end up on the run. Everybody's chasing them. The entire world thinks they're bad guys. They lose absolutely everything, and it's them basically with nothing more than kind of a gun in their hand and a shirt on their back, trying to stay one step ahead of these villains and trying to stop everything from crashing down around them. So it's a very kind of fast-paced, you know, globe-trotting narrative. Very, lot of, very in-
0: born-like, I would say, in that respect.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I do try to. I, I am unabashedly a fan of of both uh, literary. Action thrillers and and movie action thrillers as well. So you know, I, when I talk about my touchstones, mm-hmm. um, I often talk about uh, the Mission Impossible movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the very first one was a really strong influence on me, and the uh, the the Bourne stories as well. And also, you know, and Robert Ludlum as a as a writer, you know, as uh, just writing his fiction, Ludlum to me is is like kind of one of my pole stars in terms of influences. I often say that my my thriller kind of my thriller gods. If you you know, if you think of the kind of the the my shrine to the thriller gods would be Clancy, Ludlam, and Fleming would be the three that I'm mm-hmm. kind of I feel like I've learned the most from as a writer.
0: And I think you could argue that someone like uh, using your JB uh, scale, someone like Jack Bauer would very easily fit in a Tom Clancy novel. I mean, he's a, a rough and tumble version of Jack Ryan in some ways.
1: Yeah, very much so. I was actually lucky enough to do uh, a twenty-four time novel back when uh, I saw that when they when they did the the show uh, Live Another Day, which is actually the season set in London. Fully enough, I did. Mm-hmm. I wrote the story that kind of bridges one season to another, and. It's fun for me. I've had people say to me, you know, how do you think Mark Dane would get on with Jack Bauer? And I said, I think Mark would probably think he was a little too intense. <laughs> I'm
0: kind of curious who wouldn't think that Jack Bauer is too intense. <laughs> yeah,
1: I think Mark would be kind of like, dude, calm down, you know, chill out a little, maybe he, take a break. He'd hang out with Chloe though,
0: and they'd get along. A, a oh yeah, well, totally. Right? Uh, Definitely. The, the thing about 24, just as a quick uh, aside, um, from a storytelling standpoint, I mean, I, I I imagine it's the same with you when you're a writer, you, you can never 100% just be a reader or a viewer. I mean, your knowledge of the craft and your intense love of the craft, it, it seeps in no matter what, you just can't help it. It was, it was like trying to not be aware when I was uh, an active duty law enforcement officer, you always have your cop eyes on, you can't help it. It's kind of, you always have your writer's eyes on and, Uh, Well, I guess before I go any further, does that fit with you or do do you see it differently?
1: Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. 100%.
0: Well, then when I watched 24... I was um, What I was amazed by uh, in that first season especially is, I mean, it was 24 episodes, right? And over a 24 episode season, I think only two episodes didn't end on a cliffhanger. One or two, I can't remember for sure, but every single time an episode ended, they managed to make it feel like they'd raised the stakes and things had gotten you know, worse. It might have resolved the issue that was there for a couple of episodes, but you know, out of the frying pan into the fire. And I don't know how many fires they were able to keep coming up with. But it was just, I mean, that that led to such a frenetic feeling as you're watching it. Like you, uh, of the three JBs that you mentioned, I actually did worry about Bauer once in a while. It got to be so bad, you know. Uh, I always felt like he was going to pull through, but but I actually worried a little bit whereas with Jason Bourne and, and James Bond you, you just know did you did you find it tense like that uh, when you when you watched that show did you see that uh, progression did it hit you that way
1: definitely I mean and I think I learned a lot as well from from the way that show was constructed is the idea of of this you know this cliffhanger break at, at the end of every sort of chapter of the story and I think that's something that as a as a writer of prose is really useful to have to develop that skill, you know, because if you can get to the end of the chapter and you have a kind of mini cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. You want your, what do you want? What do you want from your reader? Right. You want your reader to keep reading. You want your reader to kind of, I, I love it when a reader says to me, Oh, I stayed up all night reading this. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. It's the best thing you can you know, say to a writer.
1: If someone says to me, oh, I read it in a weekend, I'm like, well, that's great. You know, mm-hmm. some people say, well, you know, why don't you why didn't you take a month to read it? It's like, no, no, if you read it in a weekend, if you could, if you were so compelled by the mm-hmm. story that you just had to blaze through it, I'm absolutely happy about that because I want I want to give my reader that kind of sense of energy and propulsion in the stories. It's like, you know, you, the, the characters in that story are being pushed forward and there's this relentless force pushing them forward and, and they're under a lot of pressure and I want you as the reader to feel that because, because then you connect with them. And if you connect, you care. And if you care, you want to keep reading.
0: Well, you said in in Rogue that Mark Dane and his uh, compatriots were, were stripped of everything. And you said something that caught my attention. Um, and that is that not only were they, it sounds like, not only were they stripped of their resources and their weaponry and so forth, uh, but they, it sounds like they're also stripped of their reputations.
1: No, that's absolutely right. Yeah, they're, uh, in the course of that story, um, they're framed for a crime they didn't commit. And uh, so, not only are the bad guys destroying them sort of financially and structurally, they're also destroying their reputation. So, they have nowhere to turn. Your reputation
0: being destroyed along with, with your livelihood, that's pretty high stakes. Uh, so, the, the new book uh, comes out the uh, 11th, I think, or the 10th of November.
1: Um, so, Nomad is the first book in the series, um, and that's been released in the UK uh, and the United States. Exile is the second book in the series that has also been released in the UK, United States. Ghost is the third book in the series, which came out in the UK uh, a couple of years ago. So the the US releases are a little bit behind. Mm. And uh, the most recent release in the UK is Rogue, which is the fifth book in the series. And the book between those two is Shadow. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it's
0: laid out that way on your website. I uh, I got a little bit confused there because of the difference uh, in uh, uh, both the hardcover and paperback in the U
1: S UK releases. Um, yeah. It's, it's, we've, we've been trying to kind of close the gap a little bit, but because <laughs> of the the, the way things are two different publishing companies, it's not always easy enough to do that. Oh, well, we're
0: behind on a lot of things in the U S these days. So uh, I don't, don't feel bad. <laughs>
1: But in terms of uh, the Ghost, which is the, the November release for the for US, that story, um, that pits our heroes against uh, a group of amoral hackers. So basically, if you think of Anonymous with no moral code, uh, selling their skills to the highest bidder, that's who our, our bad guys are. Uh, and in that story, what we have is this, this team of computer hackers who are working to kind of weaponize social media, they're um, hacking into control systems, they're messing with traffic control systems, train control systems, they're um, inciting rioting, and they're you know, just basically using any form of digital technology to kind of create havoc. And their ultimate goal in this story is to kick off a war between North and South Korea. And our characters get dragged into this situation and find themselves, you know, trying to race against time to stop this from this this terrible situation from igniting and plunging, you know, Southeast Asia into war. And in the middle of all of that, there's a revenge story that, that kind of unfolds as the narrative kind of comes towards its conclusion.
0: Well, certainly, a a conflict between North and South Korea is unlikely to be limited to those two nations, and so that really amps up the uh, the stakes as well. I would think.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting for me to to work on that when I was actually writing that novel. Um, that was during the point when uh, President Trump was um, having strong words with the Koreans. Uh, before I wrote the book, and I was thinking, please don't have actual war break out in Korea before I finish <laughs> writing this novel. Fortunately, it didn't go that way because yeah, the last thing you want to do is like predict something as terrible as that. Right. But it was right. uh, it, it was interesting to me to to get involved in 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 writing about this sort of technical. Um, idea of, of the sort of cyber espionage and, and cyber crime, because it's something that just more and more seems like it's happening in the real world around us right now. The idea of the kind of weaponization of social mm-hmm. media, of, of, of technology kind of coming to a point where with this stuff, it, it's not just the kind of thing that affects nation states. You know, it's like the technology, if you think of military grade technology, right, you know, the guy who on the street corner who robs you for your wallet He's going to have a pistol he's not going to have a jet fighter Mm. he's not going to have military-grade technology but computer hackers have the equivalent of military-grade hacking technology the kind of tools that you know north korea might use to sort of hack say the nsa is the same kind of technology a guy who's trying to get your credit card details If for a spam email, they're going to be using the same kind of level of technology. And that to me is fascinating how that military grade weapons technology, cyber weapons technology can kind of trickle down into the everyday lives of people like you and me. And so I tried to kind of hit on that when I was writing Ghost.
0: And if you had told me about this, you know, ten years ago, I'd say, "Wow, that doesn't sound very exciting for a for a thriller." I mean, geez, you're talking about computer espionage and computer hacking—boring. But as as the last ten years has, has unfolded, uh, uh, you know, even despite the action that I'm sure surrounds that in the book, um, it's become so much more pertinent, like you're like you're talking about. I mean. I mean, it messed with the 2016 elections, you know? I mean, that, that was that was what happened there, and, and that's pretty well accepted these days. And that's frightening if if you think about it. If, if an outside party can have an influence on a First World Nations elect, uh, you know, election process, that has some pretty frightening uh, repercussions, some ramifications that, uh, well, they're right there in thriller territory, it sounds like.
1: I mean, I, I based some of uh, what happened on the book on, on a personal event that once took place with me is I was, I was uh, at a club in London, a fire broke out outside. It's like there was just an electrical fire and a, and a truck caught fire. So everybody got pulled out of the building and it was next to this very, very famous department store in London called Fortnum's and Mason's. It's like a one of a kind store, right? And so we were standing outside and, you know, the fire brigade came out and it wasn't a very big fire and they put the fire out and we're taking selfies being goofy, right? Because we've all been drinking for most of the evening, let's be honest. And and I'm looking on Twitter and I'm and I'm seeing what are people saying about this fire? And I saw this explosion of people going, Oh my God, the centre of London is in flames and there were these pictures. <laughs> and 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 you know Fortnum and Mason's this, this this great place is burned to the ground. This London icon has been destroyed. And there were photographs of like these terrible fires. I'm like, where is this coming from? And I'm literally standing (laughs) next to this little fire that's fizzling out, right You Mm -hmm. know, it's 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 like this little kind of firecracker of a fire. It's been dealt with in 20 seconds. The fire brigade came in, did their thing, all done. And but on Twitter, you think that the world was ending, Mm -hmm. and it just amazed me to stand there on a street corner and watch this happening. And I thought, who is doing this? Yeah, is it someone? Is it someone standing on the street with me? Somebody over that that guy on the other side of the street? Is it him doing this? Is it somebody else somewhere? Some kind of chaos actor, just doing this for fun to create this kind of fake narrative. And I was watching it unfold in real time right there in front of me. And I just thought this is it on one level it's terrifying. But it also is. for thriller writers like us, it's also a great grist for the story. <laughs> though, you think yeah. this is terrific. How can I use it in a story, right? It's terrifying but, and
0: fascinating at the same time. Yeah,
1: definitely. You know, so that was um that was part of the kind of inspiration for that story as well.
0: Well, technology just has really, uh, you know, impacted the rapidity and the scope with which somebody could accomplish that. I mean, 30 years ago, I mean, what would you have done? Uh, you know, tried to get a story in the newspaper, started a word of mouth campaign, put up a flyer. I mean, you know, how big of a, how, how quickly could that spread and how broad could that spread? It was a lot more difficult for things to go, uh, well, they didn't have the term go viral then, but for them to go viral. Now, you know, some guy puts a video of himself on a skateboard drinking cranberry juice and, you know, lip syncing to a Fleetwood Mac song and it goes viral and everybody in the world, this guy, everybody in the world knows about it, you know? And so that's demonstrative of of how that can uh, just go crazy. And I I see why you chose to write about it. Um, uh, So from a timeline perspective, uh rogue is the most recent uh events that have occurred in the Mark Dane
1: universe correct that's right yeah
0: so uh, can we look forward to another mark Dane book
1: so i've I've just in the last week or so finished the my work on on what will be the sixth book in the series we haven't uh, announced the title on that yet so i'm going to keep that one close to my chest for a while <laughs> but that's going to be that's um you know i've just got to the end of that and I'm, I'm at that point where i am going to take a little break and then go back and start doing my edits on it but that's uh, there will definitely be uh, another mark dane story as well
0: so there's going to be another mark dane can you confirm that it'll be a one-word title
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> so I got to get some kind of exclusive here. You know.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know. Oh, believe me, every time we have a conversation about that, I, said, I made a rod for my own back. Coming up with a five-word, five-letter title for the first book is. From that point onwards, I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll just call the next book whatever I like. And they am like, no, no, you have to give it a title that is the same. And so I have this long file of all these different words. Can we use this word? No, that, that word doesn't work. This word, that word? No, you know, so every time a new book comes out, I have a long conversation with my publisher about uh, what's going to be the word on the title. I mean, I even had people um, get upset with me because uh, Shadow had an extra <laughs> letter. It's like, there's an extra letter. It's six letters long. Like, I, I was going to uh, beef
0: you about that, but uh, you beat me to the punch. <laughs>
1: So, it's, you know, people saying, oh, it doesn't quite marry up on the shelf. I'm like, I'm really sorry, you know, but, um, uh, but yeah, probably, uh, I think, you know, five letters or six letters, we're not going to go much longer than that, you know. Well, for people who want to get a taste of
0: Mark Dane um, before they uh, buy the book, you've got a, a free novella, it looks like, on your, on your website mm-hmm. called Rough Air.
1: Yeah, that was, um, I did that as, uh, I launched my own uh, website last year. And uh, I wanted to do something as a kind of like a little enticement for people to come and, and do the, visit the site. So I did that as kind of episodic releases over a couple of weeks. But it's all up there right now. So it's a yeah, it's a little novella. I, I deliberately tried to make it kind of a, a standalone story. So it kind of gives you a flavor of my writing style and, and what the Mark Dane books are. Uh, and so you could you know, come along to the site, feel free to download that. It's it's essentially I, I call it Dane on a plane. It's basically <laughs> I, I I wanted to do uh, I wanted to do an airliner hijacking story and, and I had this kind of concept I was kicking around. I thought this is the ideal place for it. And so that became rough air. Well, I've
0: downloaded it while we were talking, and as long as there aren't snakes on this plane, I'll be enjoying
1: <laughs> it soon. Oh, it's great. I hope you like it.
0: Uh, James, I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show, um, and uh, it's cool that, that the U.S. is catching up with the uh, release of Ghost, and that uh, we can uh, enjoy the Mark Dane series here, and really all, all of the writing that you've done across all these other IPs as well. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, D- discovering this uh, Mark Dane uh, series and geeking out uh, regarding the other stuff that uh, I'm extremely envious that you got to work on. So uh, uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Oh, my pleasure,
1: Frank. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been great.
0: Okay, there you are, folks. Uh, like I said, uh, the inner geek was uh, greatly thrilled to to talk to, to James. And as is so often the case uh, in the writing world, I've discovered uh, a genuinely nice guy uh, and uh, pleasure to talk to. Um, and just, I'm um, I'm envious of all the different, uh, IP sandboxes that he got to play in. And I'm really looking forward to exploring, uh, some of those that I wasn't aware of, uh, before we spoke. Um, like I said, this is a lot longer episode than your average open and shut, but I figure, you know, it's November, you get Canadian Thanksgiving, you get American Thanksgiving. So it's a, it's a month full of bonuses. So there you go. Our next episode will be a traditional feature episode, uh, and it will be featuring Eric Campbell, who is the founder and publisher of my sponsor for this show and also my publisher down and out books. I figure since he sponsors the show, we'll have to try to get him on it. He used to do the updates uh, every month, uh, but Lance uh, Wright has been handling those for a while now. And um, I thought it would be interesting to get the perspective of uh, not a writer, but a reader uh, who loved the genre so much that he wanted to uh, publish uh, worthy authors. Uh, So that's on the next episode of Wrong Place, a Right Crime. In uh, Frank Zaffiro news, I will just remind you that uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, the fourth book in the Charlie 316 series, Code 4, which is a series that I write with Colin Conway, will come out. This is the fourth and final book in this four-book arc sometimes called the Tyler Garrett saga. And so if you've been wondering what will happen to Tyler Garrett, uh, will Wardell Clint get his man? How will the police department survive? And so forth. Uh, the answer is coming in about two weeks. Uh, I'm very proud of this series, both in terms of uh, craft and the, uh, the story itself, and also uh, the opportunity to examine issues uh, that I think are very pertinent in, uh, in today's world. Code 4 coming out in a couple of weeks uh, on 11-23 from Down and Out Books. Uh, I'd like to say thanks to James Swallow for coming on the show, uh, for being such a cool guy, to Down and Out Books for sponsoring the show, and to you, the listener, for being here, for being part of this experiment. Eric Campbell next week. Until then, this is Frank Zafiro reminding you that sometimes you got to be in the wrong place the right crime.